This is Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN Columbia.
morning to you, good afternoon, good day, wherever you may be listening to this radio program. This is Radio Orbit, and my name is Mike Hagan, and you're listening to it here every Monday night from 11 p.m. until 2 a.m. And let's see, okay, tonight I'll have uh, Star Newland, the former Paradise Newland, on the air. She'll be with me in about 50 minutes, and we'll be talking about lots of different stuff. I'm not even, I'm not exactly sure what, but we'll talk about babies, I'm sure, and dolphins, and water birth, and uh, uh, all kinds of things. She's been to England recently, working on some new projects, and she's got a lot of things going on in Hawaii. So we'll talk to, uh, uh, we'll talk to Star in just a little while. And before that, we've got interesting stuff, as always. I'll be featuring the music tonight of Rutherford. They are a Columbia-based rock and roll band. Some people may know them uh, from one of their earlier incarnations as Lux. Uh, at any rate, uh, they're a wonderful group of musicians, and we'll be listening to the music of Rutherford throughout the program tonight. And if you get on the web... Uh, just hop on to the internet at www.mikehagan.com, M-I-K-E-H-A-G-A-N, and uh, click around a little bit. You'll see some information about Paradise uh, or Star on the front page there. And if you click on the Music tab, you'll see some information about tonight's music, the band Rutherford, and there are also a couple of songs that you can download, a couple of MP3s that uh, compliments of Ruth and Jeff and Pat and uh, uh, Jason and Edward. Uh, to uh, add to your collection and uh, download those, put them on your MP3 player or uh, share them with other people, okay? All right, so that stuff's coming up tonight. We've got uh, lots of interesting uh, interesting things to talk about between now and then, and I'll try to mix in uh, the pledge drive throughout the night and uh, try to raise a little bit of money here, So I'll try, but uh, try not to interrupt the show too much if I don't have to, but we do have a goal here, and the idea is to maintain the signal, to stay on the air, and it's my responsibility, as much as it is to every other uh, programmer here, uh, to step up and try to get my listeners uh, to uh, to help out. And times are tough, trust me, I realize it. Uh, so, uh, anyway, whatever you can do is appreciated. All right, as I said tonight, Star Newland and the music of Rutherford. All right, thanks for the emails. Hi to everybody who's listening over the web, I appreciate it. We will do space weather, as always, in just a bit. Um, let me give out contact information, and we'll talk about some upcoming guests really quickly. The email address is orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, orbitradio at AOL.com. If you have questions or comments or concerns or ideas for shows or uh, just want to uh, tell me uh, something, feel free to send me an email there at orbitradio at AOL.com. The website, of course www.mikehagan.com and the phone numbers as I said in the station here or in the, stu uh, in the studio I should say uh, on the air 573-443-8255 and if you want to call me during a break to make a pledge that's 573-874-5676 okay I'll give you something free as well all right, uh, upcoming guest tonight, as I said, Star Newland, the former Paradise, and we'll find out what's up with her name. Don't worry, okay? Uh, we'll be talking about dolphins and whales and children, and I'm not sure what else. Uh, next week, Dr. Paul LaViolette, turn on your tape recorders. 
Dr. Paul back on the program live next week. Um, and I'm really excited about it. So we'll be talking about cosmology and astrophysics and galactic core outbursts. All kinds of interesting things like that with Dr. Paul. Pulsars, E.T., we'll see what else. But uh, he is no slouch. Uh, Johns Hopkins, educated, Ph.D., astrophysicist, and uh, an amazing guy who's, who has an, a, a career who's, which, which is absolutely outrageous. Uh, and information on Dr. Lyle Violette, of course, is available on the web as well. You can go to my website, and right on the front page there, just page down to Event Horizon. You'll see who's going to be on next week, and you can find out information about Dr. Paul. But it's going to be an astonishing show. All right? Okay, following that, uh, John Major Jenkins, another one that I'm very excited about. Uh, the author, of course, of Maya Cosmogenesis 2012. John Major Jenkins uh, wrote a book... Uh, that just stunned the uh, scientific community. And uh, we'll talk to John on the 6th of February. It's my sister's birthday, by the way, too. That's cool. So that one will go out to my sister. And then on the 13th of uh, February, we'll have Joanna back on the air, Joanna Harcourt-Smith. And Joanna is just back from uh, 10 or 12 days in... Basel, Switzerland, and Barcelona, Spain. And she was uh, speaking at and participating in a couple of conferences that were built around the 100th birthday of Albert Hoffman, the discoverer of uh, the molecular compound of uh, LSD. And uh, that was quite, quite the gathering in Basel. And Alex Gray was there, and it was quite, a, quite an interesting group of, uh, of people, artists, uh, scientists, physicians, uh, people from many different fields uh, actually there and interested in this stuff but uh, sort of a who's who in the psychedelic community as well. So anyway, we'll have Joanna on the air in about three weeks, and we'll talk about her experiences in Basel and Barcelona. And we'll also talk a little bit about the, the new project that her and I are uh, undertaking here and that we're sort of uh, getting ready to launch in the next month or two. All right. After that, I'm not sure. We've got uh, Dennis McKenna, of course, Stephen Buhner coming up in March, and lots of other things sort of on the uh, uh, irons in the fire, as it were. Okay. All right, Pledge Drive, as I say, uh, phone number, 573-874-5676, 1-800-895-5676. We're going to take a break here, and we'll play some music from Rutherford. We'll talk a little bit, about, uh, a little bit more about the band as we, uh, uh, as we move through the program tonight, but we will have a few minutes, four minutes and four seconds, as a matter of fact, uh, where you can give me a call and make a pledge. All right, so this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit, and this is also Rutherford. This song is available, by the way, on the web. You can go over to my website, MikeHagan.com, and click on the Music tab, and this page down there, and this is one of the two songs that the uh, guys and girls of Rutherford have made available for download over there at my site, and it's called Happiness. 
and it's the first track on uh, uh, their CD that's, uh, I guess it's been, hasn't been officially released. In fact, there's a CD release party that's coming up in, uh, in a couple weeks. Actually, I think it's on the 4th of February. Uh, which makes it next uh, next Saturday, I guess. But anyway, we'll 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 chat a little bit more about that as uh, as we go. Anyway, this is happiness. The album is called Mapping Out Chaos. Rutherford, independent local music. This is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit.
That's happiness. Rutherford from their soon-to-be-released CD, Mapping Out Chaos. And if you want to check them out, they'll be at the Blue Fugue on the 4th of February. That's a Saturday night. Uh, Saturday night. And they'll be having a sort of CD release party that night as well, and I'll be there, and it should be a fun time, as always, down there at the Fugue. So, All right, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. Okay, so Paradise in just a little while. Space weather. Uh, I'll try to do this real quick. Okay, uh, after um, being outside this morning, I saw Jupiter, actually. And it, it's uh, very close to the moon, but it's sort of uh, swinging by, and the moon is actually now going to be moving closer to Venus. And over the next few mornings, uh, especially Wednesday and Thursday morning, you will be able to see uh, in the early morning hours, right around dawn, uh, the moon and Venus. And they will be brightly shining very close to one another in the early morning hours, right around dawn, actually. And it is an absolutely beautiful thing. So if you get a chance or if you're uh, having a little bout of insomnia or something like that, make sure you get up in the next couple of mornings and... Uh, take a look outside and look for the moon, and you'll see Venus uh, not far behind, and it will be a very pretty sight. And tonight, actually, when I was driving in, it's actually beautiful out. It's very clear, and Orion was just sort of rising nicely above us uh, as I was driving in, and Mars almost directly above right now. Anyway, pretty cool stuff happening in the heavens right now. Lots of stuff happening on the sun as well. There's a giant sunspot grouping. It's uh, designated number 848. It's more than 120,000 kilometers across. Uh, It's as big as the planet Saturn. And there are some great images of it actually on the web right now. If you go over to spaceweather.com or go over to to Kent's site at cyberspaceorbit.com. And see some of this stuff, but anyway, giant sunspot, and it has uh, one of the things we look for when we watch the sun are the patterns of uh, the magnetic fields that you can see in the imagery of the fo- uh, of the of the uh, satellite photos that are taken of the sun from the Soho Lasco satellites that I talk about all the time. But anyway, there's a particular type of uh, magnetic field interaction that is described as delta class and it has sort of a uh, unique signature and you can see it once you know what you're looking for but anyway that's what this particular sunspot area has it has this delta class magnetic field that uh, historically has harbored uh, tremendous potential for large flares M class and X class flares even so as long as uh, this number 848 is out in front there uh, toward the Earth, it's a pretty interesting situation to watch on the sun. So we'll talk about it again next week. It'll probably be just moving off the disk about that time. But in between now and then, it's very possible uh, that we have some some big-time solar activity. So we'll keep our eyes on the sun. And the best way to do that, as I say, is always to go over to cyberspaceorbit.com, Ken Stedman's site, and he keeps a closer eye on this than uh, than most others on this planet, okay? 
And as I said, there's some great imagery uh, also over at spaceweather.com where I where I glean a lot of this information sometimes. Okay. All right. Also, what else is happening? Um, you know, I've been talking about all of these discoveries of the moons of Uranus lately. It seems to be the 20-year discovery uh, of a whole bunch of things with regard to Uranus. Well, dumb me, of course, uh, I uh, forgot my history and realized today that it was also the 20th anniversary of the Voyager 2 probe when it was flying by, uh, flying by Uranus. So many of these discoveries that are now uh, having their 20-year anniversary were, of course, related to the, to the, uh, to the Voyager, uh, Voyager 2 probe mission that went by uh, all of the outer planets and took some stunning photos many, many years ago. And uh, the Voyager probes, both Voyager 1 and 2, are still hurtling through space, now outside of the solar system, actually. They are now in uh, interstellar space, as it's so-called. So, very interesting. And uh, at this point, they will go until they are either caught in the gravity well of another object and uh, either go into orbit around that object or crash or until they are retrieved by, you know, other means, something more intelligent perhaps. But they're certainly uh, certainly out there. But again, it shows you this, these amazing distances. You know, uh, the Voyager probes were launched, uh, launched in... Voyager 1, actually, late 70s, I think. I want to say it was 79. But at any rate, uh, a long time. It's been 35 years, uh, or it's been, I should say, 25 years or so since these probes were launched. And they've just recently left the solar system. And the distance between our solar system and the nearest star is Alpha Centauri, which is light years away um, and I don't know what a good metaphor would be but I mean I guess it's sort of like if you're going to drive uh, from Columbia, Missouri to oh, where can, how, what's the furthest place you can get to without uh, hitting water let's just say you're going to go to Juneau, Alaska well you would have traveled the equivalent distance of about you wouldn't even be to your car yet. Um, you wouldn't even make it from the seat that you're sitting in or the bed that you're lying in. You wouldn't make it to the door of that room when you were, relatively speaking, as far as the Voyager probes are now from Earth. They have, they've gone nowhere. And this is the, uh, the challenge of space travel and why a breakthrough is required when it comes to uh, propulsion or, uh, or, or a completely different means of transportation, you know, some sort of a bending of space and time like they talk about with wormholes or perhaps a teleportation technique, which is uh, not as far out as uh, it used to be. Actual talk about it and experiments with it in laboratories like Princeton uh, so lots of real interesting things that are coming to bear, uh, coming to bear in science that 
open up doorways to lots of different potentials if the scientists embrace the stuff. But there's a there's a there's a struggle in science right now, and a crisis in science, in my opinion, because uh, there's a tremendous amount of data that is being ignored, and there's a tremendous amount of data that is uh, transformative if if it can be allowed uh, to uh, to grow and, uh, and 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 be developed with with some heart and in a manner that's appropriate for all of the all of the life forms uh, you know on this planet and it's possible it's possible so uh that's all that i'm interested in is the possibility uh, is it probable right now i don't know you know uh, but anything can happen so we'll hope for something good that comes out of all of these amazing advancements, not just uh, further development of tools of destruction, because that's the, that, that game's about up anyway, you know, I mean, you know, you can only develop that stuff so far before you just destroy all of it, and it destroys itself, and then you get the archaic revival, that, uh, the literal archaic revival. That uh, that some people are so uh, yearning for, actually. I'd like to see an archaic revival of sorts, uh, but uh, with the machine symbiote involved in the game. I like technology. And I'd like to see uh, technology further developed, but I'd like to see it developed in a way that enhances humanness. Uh, not one that uh, that rapes it. So anyway, uh, 20th anniversary, Voyager 2, flying by Uranus. And of course, uh, there was another moon, Bianca, uh, that was discovered just uh, yesterday or today, 20 years ago. All right, no uh, near-Earth asteroids to speak of, none that we know of, uh, but lots of gamma ray bursts in the last few weeks, and we'll be talking to Dr. Paul about that next week, okay? All right, uh, let's see, what can we talk about real fast here? Some stuff in the news. Anonymity on a disk. To many privacy geeks, it's the holy grail. A totally anonymous and secure computer. So easy to use, you can hand it to your grandmother and send her off on her own to the local Starbucks. That was the guiding principle for the members of Chaos Theory Security Research when they set out to put a secure, crypto-heavy operating system on a bootable CD. A disk that would offer the masses the same level of privacy available to security professionals, but with an easy user interface. Uh, this is from Wired Magazine. <clears throat> and it's an amazing story. Uh, because it basically means that you can have uh, a completely secure computer. And you can surf the web, and you can go anywhere you want, and you can do it all anonymous, uh, anonymously. You run the entire operating system off a of, off of, off of disk, and you can go to any computer and use it. <laughs> So, uh, soon available to you and me. I advise it. If it becomes available, get one. I'm going to. All right, what else is happening in the news? Uh, we'll talk about a couple more stories here, and then I will call uh, Star and get her on the phone. We'll play another song from Rutherford. We'll see if anybody will call me here and donate some money. 
and uh, then we'll move along in the program, okay? Check this out. The Mysteries of Restored Vision. This is from uh, the Telegraph UK. The unexpected restoration of Joyce Urch's eyesight following a heart attack remains a mystery to her doctors. By her own account, she, stuff, she suffered from glaucoma, a condition with, in which abnormal pressure in the eye damages the optic nerve. But she also said there was a family history of blindness, and despite many tests, there had been no film, uh, no firm explanation for her loss of sight. Specialists said yesterday that a reversal of glaucoma was not likely since the damage caused was irreversible. The only rational explanation would be that very dense cataracts dislodge spontaneously, but that's a bit outlandish, said Dr. Kerry Gordon, consultant ophthalmologist and a member of the Council of the Royal College of Ophthalmologists. And the story goes on a little bit more and gives some more detail about the case. Um, and uh, I actually looked a little bit further into it to see what I could find about restored vision. And there are lots of stories out there about spontaneously restored vision. This isn't the first one. And many of them are very well documented. This one's really well documented. Uh, this was her doctor, actually, Carrie Jordan, the guy who they're quoting here. But anyway, uh, it's interesting that he said the only rational explanation would be something that is completely outlandish. Well, what does that leave? Hmm. Irrational explanations. P plants behave like humans. This comes from uh, Don Burke, uh, a professor. Uh, actually, he's a gardener in Australia, but check this out. Plants are not unlike humans. They can talk to each other and even call in reinforcements when the going gets tough. Who says so? Australian gardener Dan Burke and Australian National University chemistry professor Ben Sellinger, in a reviewing research on plants over the past 10 years, have come to the conclusion that many plants have human qualities. If a plant muncher, such as a caterpillar or even a koala, starts chewing on a plant, the plant will start sending chemicals to its leaves in an effort to repel the chewer, Mr. Burke said. Nearby plants will also start emitting these chemicals, anticipating that they'll also be attacked. Mr. Burke, who writes about the phenomena in an upcoming issue of his gardening magazine, also said plants can release chemicals which attract certain insects to protect them. So essentially they call in the cavalry, they call in the good insects, quote-unquote, to attack the ones that are attacking them, he said. Again, much more information in this particular article, but um, this is not new information either. There's a wonderful book that was written in 1970 or thereabouts. It's called The Secret Life of Plants. And it was written by a guy named Peter Tompkins, an amazing man who's not with us any longer. But he documents amazing laboratory studies and experiments with plants and came up with some remarkable results, not unlike what these gentlemen are talking about here 35 years later, and we're still arguing about whether it's real or not. And I'm not sure if these guys... Uh, uh, are aware of that old research, but uh, it's certainly time that uh, that we start to move uh, past the "Hey, look, we discovered something" phase because it's not new, and uh, it's something that we can talk about uh, again on the air sometime. The Secret Life of Plants, Peter Tompkins, and of course um, Stephen Buhner, someone who recognizes uh, Tompkins' con uh, contribution. Uh, has also done tremendous work in this field. Stephen Herod Buhner, 
who will be on the air with us in March with uh, with Dennis McKenna. So, anyway, all right, uh, interesting stuff nonetheless. And uh, for people who are not yet exposed to that information, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that the work is being done. All right, this is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. Uh, we'll come back in just a few minutes. Got a couple more stories in the news to talk about, and we'll have Star Newland at the top of the hour, 12 o'clock. All right, all right. This is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. Let's listen to another song here from Rutherford, again from their CD, Mapping Out Chaos. This song is called Okairo, and uh, the vocals on this one actually by Jeff Mueller.
Rutherford. That song was called Okiro. And we'll hear a few more from Rutherford as we move through the program tonight. We'll be on the air until 2 a.m. And this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. We've got about uh, 10 or 12 minutes or so, and we'll have our guest, Star Newland, on the air with us. We've got lots of things to talk about with Star tonight, as always. And very pleased to have her back on the program. So that's coming up in just a few minutes. But a couple things here that we'll mention before that. Uh, let's see. Retrain the brain. There's another couple stories that I wanted to mention, actually. Uh, it's hard to tell by watching her, but four-year-old Harper Thomas is participating in what may be a medical revolution. So are Betty and Ernie Redes, aged 87 and 85, respectively. All three are using cutting-edge therapies to rewire their brains, treating serious medical medical conditions with neither drugs nor sur- nor surgery. Wow, how novel. Everybody thinks that the answers to the ills of humankind lie with pharmacology, gene therapy, or stem cells, right? Asked neuroscientist Michael Menzerich. Uh, Dr. Michael Menzerich. That's where the answers are. But there's another set of answers, and they're coming from a surprising source, right? It's the use and it's the understanding of the process of the brain, uh, Merzenich said. So, yeah, people are... Uh, one of the buzzwords in brain work and neurology these days is plasticity. And uh, people are more and more astonished by the plasticity of the human brain and its ability to rewire itself. Uh, and... Um, it is actually the most astonishing uh, device in the universe, the human brain, at least to our knowledge. So it's capable of uh, of doing quite a few things uh, to help you out if you if you if you help it. And so this therapy that they're talking about here is amazing. You can go on the web and check out all this stuff on my website at uh, just go to mikehagan.com and click on the news tab. And all of these stories are there, and then you can go link to the original articles. This particular one comes from CBS News. And then you can read the whole story, so I won't take the time to read all of them. I just want to give you guys a piece of them uh, when I do the show, okay, because there's too many of them to, to, to read. In fact, there's too many of them even to give you a piece of them, but I try to pick some good ones. So, All right, here's another one. Uh, geometry may be hardwired into the brain, study shows. Amazonian hunter-gatherers who lack written language and have never seen a math book score highly on basic tests of geometric concepts, researchers said on Thursday in a study that that suggests geometry may be hardwired into the brain. Stanislas Denehe of the College of France in Paris and colleagues tested 14 children and 30 adults of an Amazonian group called the Munduruku and compared their findings to tests of U.S. adults and children. Munduruku children and adults spontaneously made use of basic geometric concepts, such as points, lines, parallelism, right angles, etc. They used distance, angle, and sense relationships in geometrical maps to locate hidden objects, they wrote. Our results provide evidence that geometrical intuitions, in the absence of schooling, experience with graphic symbols or maps or a rich language of geometrical terms. This is another uh, story, actually, that isn't new. In fact, it's really old. And uh, for those of you out there who who like the Greek stories, you may remember in Plato, in both Mino and Phaedo, Plato talks about a concept, uh, he develops a concept actually that's called 
anamnesis. Anamnesis. It, in, in our terminology, it would, it would maybe be uh, defined as against the laws of memory or something like that, maybe. But anyway, the, uh, the, uh, to make a long story short, the concept of anamnesis is the idea that memory has an effect on learning and that uh, learning is, in effect, recovered memory. And the story that we just read before would sort of lend credence to that idea. These uh, tribal peoples that understand geometry without being taught. And this is actually the exact experiment that Plato did. Uh, what he did was um, he took some slaves and uh, through some clever questioning, he was able to test their skill in geometry. And he actually determined the same thing uh, that, uh, that these scientists are discovering today, that the slaves had no schooling, no uh, understanding from the culture or anything uh, that was taught to them uh, about geometry, yet they intuitively understood the concepts. And this lends credence to another story that uh, is in the news today about Rupert Sheldrake, the maverick, amazing evolutionary biologist from Cambridge uh, who stunned the world in 1981 with his book, A New Science of Life, and uh, where he unveiled the theory and the concept of morphic resonance. And morphic resonance is, none, is, is nothing less than what we're talking about here uh, in this concept of anamnesis. The idea that there's sort of a, uh, a species-wide memory that is passed on from generation to generation and individual to, in, to individual. A field of sorts. A non-local field of sorts. Uh, which, uh, which holds the history of the species and can be recovered without being taught. It's there. It's a matter of finding out how to get to it. Uh, so anyway, the work of Rupert Sheldrake uh, has just been stunning. And uh, here's a quick snippet from a story about Rupert that's in the, uh, uh, it's in the news today. Uh, biologist Rupert Sheldrake's theories turn everything we know about the universe inside out. Walking to the home of maverick scientist Rupert Sheldrake in Hampstead, London's cozy but glamorous artistic village that's been home to John Keats, George Orwell, D.H. Lawrence, and more recently novelist John Le Carre and actress Emma Thompson, I am not surprised to find that his plain brick house looks out on Hampstead Heath. The famous and still remarkably wild expanse of grasslands and groves that was the spot where Keats met William Wordsworth for long rambles discussing the passions and ideas that would be immortalized in their romantic poetry. Sheldrake, one of the world's leading spokesmen for a more holistic and democratic vision of science, might easily be grouped with romantics, except that his insights are based on empirical research rather than poetic feeling. Uh, anyway, a great article uh, continues about Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, and I encourage anybody uh, who's interested in the sciences, uh, in particularly biology, uh, to get uh, to know Dr. Rupert Sheldrake. 
All right, this is Mike, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with Star Newland. We've got lots to talk about. She's been on the program a couple of times, uh, but uh, accompanied by her partner, Dr. Michael Heisen. This time we're going to have Star all to ourselves, and we couldn't be more pleased about it. So we'll come back in just a few minutes with her, and we'll do the pledge drive thing here real quickly, play another song from Rutherford, and then get on with business. Okay? All right, this is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. We'll be back in just a few minutes.
All right, Don't Refrain. That's Rutherford. One more from Mapping Out Chaos. I like it, Don't Refrain. We must step forward with our lives. Good words from Ruth. And, uh, yeah, information available about the band, Rutherford, along with information about my guest, Star Newland, uh, can be found on the web, www.mikehagen.com. For the band, click over on the music tab, and you can read a little bit about them. There are a couple of photos, and you can download uh, two songs are available. And uh, let's mention real quickly who's uh, the band. Uh, Ruth Acuff, Jeff Mueller, sort of the core of the band, uh, drummer Jason Cook, trumpeteer Ed Wilson, Really blowing the trumpet, I love that. And uh, uh, Pat O'Driscoll playing the guitar. And uh, great stuff. We'll hear a few more from them uh, throughout the program tonight. But we're running a little bit behind, so let's get right to our guest uh, before she becomes offended or something. At any rate, uh, she is Star Newland, and she's a friend of the program, has been on the air a couple of times in the past with her working partner, a gentleman that she's worked with uh, for a number of years, Dr. Michael Heisen. They are sort of a dynamic duo. Uh, she's the founding member of an organization uh, called the Sirius Institute in uh, Hawaii on the Puna Coast. And she has an amazing history and an amazing present. And we're going to talk uh, to her a little bit about both probably tonight and probably a little bit about the future as well. So uh, without further delay, my good friend, Star, hello. Oh, aloha. That is so wonderful <laughs> to live up to. My goodness. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> aloha, audience. <laughs> aloha. Thank you so much for being here, as always. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, we've got you here. It's always interesting uh, working out the phones from Hawaii, but tonight seems rather smooth, relatively speaking. <laughs> Well, I could talk story for a moment about what it took to actually finally make it to where I am in Hilo, Hawaii today. Really? This evening on Bayfront at my good friend Roger Christie's um, THC ministry office and um, overlooking palm trees and the ocean out there and the whales and everything. And I calculated it. I was hitchhiking because I'm um, hitchhiking these days. And it was like eight rides just to get here today from when I started, and it'll be another two or three till I make it home tonight. So um, I so wanted to be on the air with you here. The effort that you put put forth over there made, made the phone thing work out rather well, apparently. Usually it's easy for you to get to the phone, but we just can't get the phones to work. Right. <laughs> so. Balance. We're just balancing everything now. Well, that's the name of the game these days, I think, so... Anyway, okay, well, look, what is, uh, what's going on? It's been a while since you've been on the air with us. Why don't you bring us up to speed? I know you spent some time in England. We have lots of different things to talk about, but we really didn't, uh, 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 we didn't, we didn't bullet point it, so to speak. So let's just, uh, why don't you tell me what's going on in, in your world these days, and we'll start from there. Well, um, thanks. England was fabulous. It was wonderful. Uh, we went over to, uh, for two reasons, especially to uh, see my son, Kehenna, who turned 13 this summer, and to go to our partner, Napier's um, Cetacea World Premiere, hmm. a beautiful video and live performance that we attended out in the countryside in Dorset, and where we celebrated with dolphin and whale and like-hearted people for weeks. And uh, just had a lot of fun and good connections. Met wonderful people like Robert Temple. Mm. I saw in one of the emails that uh, someone asked about how did the Sirius connection, or 
what about the serious connection? Right, what is that? Right, right. Um, so, yeah, the serious connection was named because of my having just read Robert Temple's book in Vancouver back mm-hmm. in 1985. Yeah, and that book was written even a few years before that, I think. It was. Yes, it was. And I had just swum with Joe and Rosie on the dolphins in Florida for the first time, my close-up, close-up encounter, and um, was inspired to go start this company when I got home. Mm-hmm. And I wondered what I would call it. And then I thought about Robert's work and the dolphins and what they were about in terms of bringing the arts of civilization, at least, to the humans. I thought that would be a good um, name for the company. Huh. So um, Robert Temple was one of the people we met, and... Um, Oh, gosh. Uh, Dr. Gallery Motha, a friend of mine who's a physician, uh, London, she delivers babies, and she delivered women's babies into the water with dolphins in Israel mm. the month after my son was born here in Hawaii. So I spent many days with her and uh, visited with Dr. Michelle O'Dont, who's known sure. as the father of water birthing, sure. a very um, great inspiration both of these people are, and... Gosh, oh, we went to Stonehenge, and we went to the Salisbury Plain, and um, we just had a wonderful time. Horace Dobbs, another um, leader in the field who was one of the first people, really, to swim with dolphins, and um, that was Donald and Horace. That's very, very famous and one of the early things that I connected with him. Interesting. His experience, it was just, so that was part of what we were up to, and um you know, seeing my son after several years, that was really amazing, and his family there and his life there. So that was a nice completion and um, a closure for me in a way, and that's partly how the name Star comes. Well, that was, yeah, that, that, that's another one at the top of the list. Before we get too deeply into our conversation, there are a number of people that are very curious about the, the, the change from, from paradise. And for people who didn't uh, put that together yet, this is the former Paradise Newland. Uh, and, uh, and she works with Dr. Michael Heisen and has for, uh, for how, how long have you and Michael been working together? Well, you know, we just met 16 years ago, January the 6th, at John Lilly's 75th birthday party in Malibu. That's amazing. And, yes, because he just walked in the door. Um, oh, uh, his name escapes me for the moment, the Illuminati fellow. Oh, uh, Robert Anton Wilson. Right, Robert Anton Wilson. He brought Michael to John's party. And then Michael and I um, obviously had a connection. <laughs> And so we started hanging out with each other, and I bailed him out of JPL. <laughs> the Dolphins called him. We recruited him. <laughs> well, that's amazing, you know, because, yeah, Michael's got a pretty interesting background. He's been all over the place. He's been with JPL. He's been with NASA. He's been, you know, with many of the sort of big uh, sort of aerospace organizations. But then he's also done all this amazingly creative stuff on his own that's just outrageously cool. Yes, Michael is just to be celebrated as one of the most amazing human beings ever, <laughs> I have to say, because I've known him all these years. I get to see it and experience it and witness, and he's just pretty remarkable, and his, his mind just keeps, of course, expanding mm. and learning and growing and exchanging data with other people. Yeah, he's really cool. Well, okay, so... Uh so My- Michael was there in uh, in England as well, with uh-huh. you, right? So Robert Temple, that had that had to be an amazing experience because he's a very very interesting guy who's got, who really uh, doesn't make a lot of waves these days. Well, um, I wonder. 
about that because one of the books he gave us was um, Crystal Land, the Crystal Suns, and in that he describes how um, early, early ancient peoples have had lenses, for example, um, so that they could do amazingly detailed, um, you know, mm. work, mm. you know, like Stone thousand work. angels on the head of a pin, kind of. Right. I, w- I read his book, and I was just, it kept me up for nights, <laughs> which is hard, because I read by a candle sometimes. But it was just amazingly detailed, and his level of expertise and scholarship blew me away. And his wife, Olivia, who works with him, and she's in all these pictures of these places they go to. She's just an amazing work partner and intellect herself. Um, Meeting them because it was his book that inspired me to name the original company The Serious Connection. So when I met him, it was like meeting a hero. (laughs) It was meeting a hero in a way. Amazing. And um, so I had a chance. If people go to planetpuna.com and look at our pictures from London, um, from England ship, um, you could see us having dinner with our partner Napier and Michael and myself and Robert and Olivia and meeting and just animatedly having just the most fun and (laughs) great connection. And he and Michael both belong to L5. And so there's some kind of secret handshake or some kind of yeah. member handshake that they do. Right. I think there's a picture of them, too. They're doing this, and they're both doing this. And it was just, you know, like brothers and sisters finding each other again, really. It was wonderful. Wow. Well, I'm just, like, scribbling notes because we've already hit on a couple of things that we have to hit on again. And okay. L- and, and L5 is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, now we, we also have to get back to your name. But before we go there, uh, um, th- there's something else that... Uh, you, you mentioned John Lilly again, and I know that you and John were friends and colleagues. Uh-huh. And uh, there was a serious connection with John as well, wasn't there? Wasn't didn't he have some? I thought I remembered in in some of his older, uh, I mean, some of his later books that he was all interested in the planet series, or I mean, in the star series. Um, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm mistaken. Michael would be our archivist on that. Um, um. I wonder, but it was through John Lilly and the Human Dolphin Foundation and Carolina Eli at that time that the Sirius Institute was actually umbrellaed mm. and continues to be umbrellaed for like um, 15 and a half years now. Interesting. Through the Human Dolphin Foundation. And, uh, yeah, John was pleased about the Sirius connection. Okay. Um, yeah. Ask um. Michael about that. When we talk with Michael... Yeah, I will. Let's ask Michael. He can email that and put it on your blog. Yeah. By the way, I love your website. Oh, thanks. And, yeah, I love the work that Larry is doing for it and um, that he's working on a new look for Planet Puna, too. So. Yeah, he's very excited to do some stuff for you and Michael, and he really yeah. appreciates the work that you guys are doing, as do I. So. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and that's a good chance for me to, to talk about... Uh, appreciation again and I've got to do this pledge drive thing so let me mention that really quickly it uh, is a lot of work to bring people like Paradise like Star to you uh, every week Uh, it is uh, nice to see it appreciated and the way that we uh, are asking for appreciation right now is to um, uh, become a member and donate a little bit of your hard earned money Uh, there are lots of good causes out there many of them uh, you don't know where your money goes. You think it's a good cause, but you really have no way of really knowing because the money gets lost. And some of the bigger charities and bigger organizations, I could tell you horror stories, but uh, that's not on the on the docket today. 
but there are wonderful uh, organizations that uh, that need support. Paradise, or I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm probably going to do that all night, Star. Uh, okay. Um, and you'll have to apologize. Just say Star when you get to it. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Star and Michael's organization being one of those. The Sirius Institute and Planet Puna are both uh, worthy, uh, worthy charities in, in my opinion uh, too. Uh, and there are many of them. So, uh, so use your money wisely. I guess that's uh, th- that, that's the advice. And if you think it's wise to keep uh, uh, free. Uh, lines of unbiased and uncensored communication open, well, then support the station. And if you're interested in cutting-edge research and uh, information about our own species and contact and communication with others, uh, then you might look into an organization like uh, Planet Puna or the Sirius Institute. So, anyway, okay, back to it, Star. Uh, What... um, Let's get back to your name change, uh, as you were. It, uh, it was in, in England. Something happened, apparently. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and it relates, yes, rather, it relates to what you were saying earlier about plasticity of the brain. Hmm. Um, because I'm intrigued as a, you know, I have a degree in psychology, clinical psychology, so mm-hmm. understanding myself and others is, you know, of interest to me. Sure. And one thing that I've always been interested in is the plasticity of the mind Mm. and what can we do with it and how can we play with it and how can we, like, release it and liberate it really in different ways, things having to do with, like, um, changing my name. Um, When I read Sybil and books like that, I was amazed at how a person's personality, whichever one was, quote, in, could go from, like, having perfect vision to being super nearsighted, for example, or um, being tolerant of seafood, whereas the other one might die if you gave it to them. Yeah, literal physiological and responses, yeah. Amazing ones. So I thought, wow, well, if I can do that, you know, if I, if I were multiple, let's say, and I could do that, well, that's interesting. What if I chose to, like, just explore myself and see what happens when I change my name, I change my birth date, and so I started doing that. But then um, I came along information or upon information over time that said, you know, there are cultures when someone marks an achievement of note or when an important transition has taken place, that's another time for a change of name. And uh, I said, okay, well, um, I felt a new name coming last spring <laughs> when I started signing some of my emails star. Yeah. Those were more my personal emails to people like yourself, for example, and Michael. And so I felt the energy changing at that point, and I noted it. And then during the summer, because of my experiences in England, and I'm sure the historical connection I would have over there, too, that I felt. Um, oh, yeah, we're under the flight path of the airport. However, the flights are supposed to stop fairly soon. Oh, thank you. Well, that wasn't <laughs> that, that okay. bad, actually. I heard that was I, okay? I was curious what it was, but... Okay. Uh, <laughs> it was either that or a cookie frog in the background with a potential um, thunderstorm. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, and I know you get storms <laughs> coming, actually, so... Yes, exactly. That's why I made my way to, um, to downtown here. All right. Um, anyway. <laughs> so um, it was through all of this and um, my experiences in England, as I was saying... And then I had uh, particular uh, healing sessions that uh, were cranial sacral work with my friend and our partner Napier and uh, Natasha and this rebalanced things. And then I had a vision afterwards that came to me that showed me 
um, myself as an egg, a silver egg. Mm. And there were a bunch of silver eggs dotted across this horizon. And I was just told I was a bright, shining one. Hmm. And, and that was what I saw. So I thought, oh, well, that's nice. And I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and then I was getting ready to go back home. So, um, you know, that was that. But then after I got home and was doing some meditations over a period of days, then I was told that um, my new name was Star and to start using it and use it more consistently because I was using it in Los Angeles on the way home. And I felt and I feel really good with it. I like the name and it's brighter. It's easier to write when I sign off on things, star. (laughs) And I love stars. And then it's about feeling connected to, like, trillions of stars. Mm. When I I was driving across the islands back and forth for several weeks, I would often go at nighttime because the road would be nice and clear and the sky would be clear, and I could stop up and look at stars, like, trillions of stars, you know, as many as one could see, and beautiful, clear, and I said, wow, I'm part of that now, (laughs) which we all are anyway, by the way, of course, we all have stardust and everything, so it just was a thing of feeling connected to all of that, and then um, this one night when I stopped to do that, I just said stars, and I twirled around and described an arc with my arm, and as I did that, a shooting star paralleled my arm and I felt wow okay we're here together you see it's like it's for the audience and me to keep remembering we're here together and it's such an interactive such a beautifully creative universe um, that I just want to share that yeah it's an amazing story and it's sort of like your your confirmation from above yes yeah yeah. Um, yeah see I'm blessed because I live in a place where I can see the stars. Yeah, you live in paradise. I do. And so, yeah, for Larry, who wants to call me paradise, uh-huh. go for it. <laughs> well, you know, and uh-huh. it's interesting. When, when you and I were talking about this off the air, too, a little bit, the point you made is a valid one, that a couple things. You know, to get stuck on a name, for example, is no different than getting stuck on anything, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. And And moving through different phases of life or whatever, it's, uh, there are different ways to trigger those sort of things that accompany them. And, and yeah, there are, there are precedents in many cultures. I know in India, uh, when you move from, uh, you know, from a stage of a working man, for example, to a retired person, you change the way you dress, you know. And so it's along those lines, and people maybe shouldn't take it as quite so striking, maybe. Well, I feel like, We are well advised to lighten up and become (laughs) way more playful because rigidity of thinking, this this was important for me too because I had an innate tendency, let's say, because of education and, you know, um, constrictions because I'm, you know, a female of a certain generation and so on. Um, There was an inclination to be kind of like tight about stuff. Mm. And... I personally wanted to lighten up and loosen up so I could have more fun and enjoy more and also attain a certain kind of state of consciousness, uh, the playful state, because that's truly, as the dolphins have shown me, a higher state of being. Mm. To be playful, to be connected to things, to be able to perceive in a different way because my whole mind is working together. Uh, Things like this are increasingly important to me and to all of us. Hmm. 
All right. Well, I think that's a good place to take a break, and it also uh, leads into children, I think, quite well. Um, when we talk about play, they're the ones that are pretty good at it. When we let them be. When yeah. we let them be, yeah. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that when we come back, okay? Let's. All right, yeah. let's do that. We'll talk about uh, babies and children and maybe a little bit about birth and who knows what else with my good friend Star Newland. She's coming to us live from, where are you, in Hilo? I'm in Hilo, Hawaii, beautiful Hilo Bayfront. All right, Hilo, Hawaii. and uh, Home of Mary Monarch Festival. Mm. And soon to be the... Um, Celebration of the Whales Great and Small Festival. Right, I've got a note about that, yeah. Yeah, we have lots coming together now. Right, and it's also sort of a special day, this uh, 1, 2, 3. Yes, it is. It's uh, the 23rd of January here, our time. And uh, because Sirius is related to the number 23, as Robert Anton Wilson so beautifully huh. articulates and others, right? Oh, yeah. So, um... 11.23 is like our big gathering day because that's when we had four partners, the Sirius Institute, five actually, and six including Tiger when he was younger, all together in one place at one time for the first time ever huh. here in Pune, Hawaii. And so I thought, wow, and it was 11.23 and I just love that number <laughs> for whatever reason. So I said, oh, this can be the gathering day and then that was like the annual one. But then every month after that is the monthly one. But then the one, two, three just brings to mind the child thing of one, two, three, jump. Huh. You know, so tonight um, it's a one, two, three, jump kind of night. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, we sort of talked about it. We'll have a surprise for everybody uh -huh. maybe in uh, in an hour or so. Well, cool. <laughs> yes, let <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, 12.28, so maybe uh, a little less than an hour, but we may do a little one, two, three, jump of our own here with yes. uh, with Star coming up. Anyway, okay. Uh, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. You can. Uh, which website do we want to reference tonight? The uh, Planet Puna website or the Sirius Institute or both of them? Oh, if you go to Planet Puna, that links you to all of it, including your site, too. Okay, great. Uh, www.planetpuna, P-L-A-N-E-T-P-U-N-A, planetpuna.com. You can get there directly, or, of course, you can get there uh, right from my site, right on the front page there. You'll see STARS uh, information prominently displayed and we'll be back in just a minute to talk with her some more in the meantime play some more music from uh, Rutherford in just a moment this song is called April and we'll be back in just a few minutes this is Mike you're listening to Radio Orbit she hides in her brain she can't feel the change she wants to
have it. That's one more from Rutherford. That song is called April. All right, this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. Thanks for uh, taking a breather there, and thanks to everybody who has called in to donate their hard-earned money. I appreciate it. And let's get right back to my guest, Star Newland. And one more time on the web, you can access information about Star and the work that she's involved with, uh, or uh, involved in, I should say, is uh, www.planetpuna, P-L-A-N-E-T-P-U-N-A, dot com. And you can always get there uh, from my site as well. So, all right, Star, hi. Thanks for sticking around. Oh, thank you, Michael. Of course. Aloha. Aloha. All right, so um, we were talking about play and how important it is uh, before the break, and I fully agree it's important to adults as well as it is uh, to children, and maybe we can learn something uh, from that. Well, uh, children are meant to be children, which is kind of an obvious statement, except if we take a look at what we've done to the child within and the children in our culture and hmm. our global culture, and in so many ways, We've removed um, the child from childhood. And this strikes me really deeply because through years of observation and, and doing things differently, I get to see what can change and what can be different when we actually let children be children and when we even let ourselves reconnect with our own, you know, it's fond to say, uh, fashionable to say, inner child. Mm. But that part of us that is like the eternally youthful, you know, the part that sees life freshly and through open eyes and right, with right. acceptance, which also engenders whole brain functioning, which comes down to, like, the language sculpting that we've discussed before. Right, that's we'll another thing on the last again. Right, right, okay. Yeah, so these things and enhanced immune system functioning. So people are in better shape. They're more healthful when they're more playful, when they're having fun when they're generating yummy neurochemicals hmm. by following their hearts, seeing life in a more aloha kind of way, all these things like feed into our system and um, help strengthen us, help cure us, also help change how our DNA expresses itself. Hmm. Hmm. Just from being like a child. Yeah, and a lot of this stuff now... Uh, as, as we talk about a lot on the program, is now bearing itself out in science. I mean, there are physiological effects that are now being shown uh, that are related to exactly the stuff that you're talking about. It's not just uh, new age hocus yeah. pocus, you know. We're substantiated now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yay. But, of course, uh, you know, when you're in your feeling body, you can substantiate things for yourself. Right. You don't need and the approval of some higher authority. Exactly. You approve for yourself because I can feel for myself. You can feel for yourself. The people who are listening to the show, Garens, they can feel for themselves. That's why they're feeling the truth of your guests. Hmm. And your audience is feeling itself out because we're all part of a collective consciousness right now. The people who are live hearing this and the people who will hear it in a kind of perpetuity, a cyber perpetuity when huh. it goes into your archives. Isn't that something else? Yeah, really. <laughs> How fun. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going out into deep space, too, because, of course, when we sent the live whale songs into deep space last Earth Day through Deep Space Network, um, everything that was on planet Puna went out there, too. <laughs> it's a link and all the people with Aloha. 
who are part of what we're sending out there. Absolutely amazing. I love it. Yeah, we'll have to. T- that's another thing that I've got to highlight here is the uh, the whales to the stars uh, uh, thing that you did last spring. Mm-hmm. Is there? Uh, and uh, I'll, well, well, we'll get there in a minute. But this, I, I want to get back to play just for a moment and sort of close sure. cl- close that close that up. But you know, I I, I bring up my son often uh, when when we're talking about this stuff because he's two years old now. He's two uh-huh. two years and, and a few months and. And I make every effort to to allow him to to play, you know, pretty much nonstop if he's awake. You know? Sure. And and uh, one thing that you mentioned before is this idea of focus of thought and being uh, being fully immersed in something. Mm-hmm. You, you know, well that's something that you that I really see. I mean, he has no other concerns at that particular time other than his little farm or whatever right. it is. You know what I mean? And if that's something that we can achieve, you know, regardless of age, then we start getting into the the start of things, the the sort of things that Joe Pierce talks about. You know, this yeah. I, this idea of uh, uh, unconflicted thought, and then we would sculpt that, though, Mike. Oh. Not conflicted thought. What does that mean? <laughs> Just to jump for the sculpt for a moment. Yeah. Non-conflicted thought would likely be sculpted to something like a harmonious kind of thought. Hmm. You know, or a unity thought, right. something like that. Don't use the name. Okay, all right. Well, let's. Yeah. Uh, this is a good opportunity to introduce language sculpting. Uh huh. Um, okay. And it's and it's maddening to me. I I must tell you, language sculpting. You you introduced me to this uh, a year or so ago, and I know just enough about it to make myself absolutely crazy because <laughs> I find myself thinking about it. Yet I, uh, I I'm not quite sure where to go. Oftentimes, and in fact, there's one word that used to be my favorite. Favorite word, um, incredible. I used to use the word. Oh, yeah. I used to use it all the time. Now I'm totally paranoid. I never use the word incredible anymore, you and suck. I'm so mad at you because I, I don't have my, one of my favorite words. I wonder what remarkable is a good a choice, alternative Remark- choice, that amazing, is, I, I like stupendous, phenomenal, <laughs> awesome. Um, although incredible is what we call one of those not words. It's not credible. Right, right, when I right. looked up a whole bunch of these words as language sculpting was developing, I looked at them and I thought, holy Christmas, there are all these not words. There's hmm. not constitutional, not legal, not proliferating arms, you know, hmm. non-nuclear treaties, I mean, all this other not stuff, which linguistically and energetically right, kind right. of entangle things in reality construct. Hmm. All right, so that so uh, so that's sort of what language sculpting is. Give us a yes. little, give us a little, uh, uh, give us the headline definition. Creating coherent realities through the conscious use of language. Wow. All right, how did you come up with it? Uh, the dolphins uh, came into my writing session one day. In fact, it was a gathering day before I even did them, but it was December twenty third, nineteen eighty six. And they said I would create a new style of writing that was holographic in essence. And then I just went on to write other stuff. And I thought, well, that sounds good. I'm interested. I'm open. And then I started having different kinds of perceptions about language over a period of time. And then I mentioned this once before, but I had the Course in Miracles cards with some friends, you know, and every day we'd pick cards and we'd do our little healing and processing sessions and so on, which they're wonderful for. But one day in particular, I was just like, kind of like 
tired of seeing these like positive phrases and then the negative phrase. And I can actually even relate that to one of um, the lyrics of your group, Rutherford, if I could bring that up. Sure. Because they say, don't refrain. Don't we refrain. Must, we must, we must step, step forward. forward. So this is like one of those confused statements for the brain waves. Because on the one hand or foot, we're saying, don't refrain. The thought form that's being put out, of course, is refrain. Mm. And then we must step forward which is the opposite. You're refraining or you're stepping forward. But when it comes to deciding what to do in the body, there's chaos. And there's like, wait a minute, well, this or that. Well, uh, let, let, let's clarify that because um, uh, let's talk a little bit about the thought form. In other words, when we, uh-huh. say, when we say don't do something, um, yeah. uh, explain that to the audience about what really happens sort of neurologically. The don't really doesn't really do anything. Right. So. Well, the reason we started using zero in conversation and other things is because um, when I was language sculpting the Book of Rune Cards with Ralph Blum years ago, Mm -hmm. I had this meditation session beforehand, and what I was shown was that whenever we use the not word, one of the things was that our brains, neurons, get kind of like knotted up. Um, And I wonder if it's actually a physiological thing, but certainly energetically. Hmm, There's a lot of entanglement. And I was shown that increasingly our planet was cut off from circulation of higher consciousness in and out because we had all these entangled realities that come about from not wanting this or not liking that and creating and generating the knotted thought forms. Hmm. So if I don't want war, I'm generating the thought forms of war. I'm generating the neurochemicals of war. I'm generating my ideas and my feelings and personal experiences even of war, which contributes to war. Hmm. And even when I'm, as I used to be like so many of my, um, into peace, well, peace is um, the absence of war by dictionary definition, one of them. And so again, that whole thing of war is still being evoked, although somewhat more subtly. That's why we like to go for harmony. Hmm. So that that creates a clear thought form of people getting along with each other, which is different than war. It's different than the absence of war, because what is the absence of war? But harmony is one of the things that that is, where we actually are here together, where we actually get along with each other, where we have aloha for ourselves, Love thy neighbor as thyself, hmm. presumes that the people love themselves. Now we have to add that to the mix, you know, hmm. and then generate more of that. That would change things pretty quickly. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting that when you look at big systems and things like that, especially chaotic ones, it doesn't take much, and, it can, and change can happen really quickly. People say, oh, it'll never, it can never happen, you know, but... Uh, uh, anything can happen, quite frankly, and it may, you know, it may not be roses, or it may not be Armageddon. It may be something in between, but uh, uh, but certainly anything can happen, and, mm-hmm. and and recognizing that is a big part of this whole thing too. Yes. And it, and and it allows you to live. You know, I think that's a big part of it for me, at least personally, is this, you know, the recognition that, uh, you know, that it is a crapshoot. <laughs> well. <laughs> A crapshoot that responds to thought. Because years ago there was a book um, called Alpha Backgammon that I got in Las Vegas. 
And it shows how you could actually, of course, and we know this anyway, you can influence the, the role of the dice, and you can influence the role of the little red um, or the little ball at the roulette table. I mean, we know how to do this. And it's important for us to, especially now, remember that we are masterful at doing it. And we could see evidence of this all around us every day, and we could just be more playful with it and have even more evidence of it and become what I call a synchronicity generator. Yeah, this could be something our audience can do as, uh, you know, something to play with after we get off the air or, or from now on, really, to become synchronicity generators by being in harmony with everything around us and seeing how that changes things. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about this idea of synchronicity. What, uh, what exactly do you mean by that, and how would people uh, become a, a generator of those types of phenomena? Well, um, I like numbers, and certain numbers mean certain things to me, whether it's my birth time or um, uh, my son's birth times or birthdays or things like this, mm-hmm. uh, so things like this. And so when certain things are happening inside of me, I'll notice a predominance of those numbers, and sometimes when I'm really cooking, I'll have all kinds of them, like a whole bunch of them in one day, different ones, boom, 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 hmm. like 606 or 420 or 1217 or 253, or sometimes my mileage will turn over, like if I reset my mileage indicator, like to 000, right. and then I'm just like driving, and then all of a sudden, like at my birth time at 253 or something, the mileage will be at 253, and I'll think, what? Right. How did that happen? But, you know... It's natural. <laughs> it's just kind of natural that um, we can be that in tune with things and that these are little um, indicators to us on the path that uh, we are in tune with things and things are going our way. Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot more support in the world in an interactive reality when we open ourselves to it. And, of course, if you never even... Uh, give any of that sort of thing any credence, well, then then you'll never recognize it to begin with. It'll never, ever even get a foothold. Right. And I think when that happens, uh, we could feel kind of adrift because I feel like, of course, we're meant to be embedded in our experience and our life here on Earth. We're meant to be integrated into life. I mean, that's what it's about, really, is to be part of it. So when we see... Uh, synchronicity or we think of someone and they show up or oh yeah some funny things about synchronicity too the other day I was making my way to Hilo and I was making my way especially to see my son Mm -hmm. and all these rides and all this time and walking and waiting and I'm thinking gosh I must be waiting for someone really special this ride is taking quite a while (laughs) and then who should come around the corner with his friend but my son Tiger (laughs) and he was saying yeah mom you know I had to do this and I had to do that Uh but we had to go there and then they just said to each other I'll bet we see your mom or something like something about your mom's coming up and then bingo that's the ride I was waiting for Amazing. and things like that happen when we're like in the flow when we're open when um, for me it also involved letting go of the having to do so much thing recently Hmm. you know just um kind of saying, well, you know, circumstances are such that I have to do less. And so I started doing less. 
But in a funny kind of way, more kept happening. Because I'd catch a ride with the lady who's going to help us do the whale hula, for example. Right. And um, other people, like artists who want to participate. And so it's just having the opportunity to connect with people by slowing down enough to make the contact. Huh. Okay. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I, I concur. I've seen it. I've seen it in my own in my own life. I see it too, and sometimes it's actually very comical too. It has sort of a it has sort of a sense of humor. Oh, totally. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Well, yeah. So those are things that we look for, and 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 there's sort of signposts that yes. uh, that say, hey, oh, pay attention, and uh, maybe. Uh, what else? Can we glean other things? Well, from hey, these? that it's okay. Yeah. Hey, that even though something really intense is going on, sometimes some of the most intense things, um, you know, that I've been through were going on. But then just in that moment, like a dolphin would show up on television, mm. or if I was by the coast, I could look up. And right in that one moment, that one moment, that dolphin would look, be there right when I happened to be looking. Amazing. Now, that's a pretty big ocean. I spent a lot of time looking for dolphins. I mean, it's a lot harder than one thinks. <laughs> so I know what it takes to, to actually have that happen. Mm. And so life is that kind of magical that the signs are there. Our openness to them is what we're increasing now because we're becoming increasingly open. Okay. You know, speaking of... Uh Dolphins and and whales and things in the wild. Mm-hmm. What's the? You've heard the story of this whale in uh, in the Thames, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. What was the? What happened there, Paradise? What What do you guys make of that? I've, I've been dying to talk to Michael and say what What's going on? Well, um, we would sculpt that. Too. I've been. I'm keen to talk to Michael. I've been longing to ask Michael. <laughs> but either want to be dying to. Um, <laughs> Well, you know, when our partner Napier sent us that email and so did um, my son's dad and another partner, I thought, wow, this is great, because Napier said, well, um, this is a good sign, you know. I thought, yeah, really, like the whale is there and it's beaming basically some kind of message to Parliament and how brilliant, really, an ambassador from the Cetacean Commonwealth. And I fully anticipated that um, it would deliver its message and then make its way out. The next day when I read that this had, you know, that it had died and how it had died, of course I started to cry and just cry. Mm. And then I went to the next thing, which was an article about the Japanese doubling their whaling take, intending to at any rate. And I cried some more, and I thought, well, this is a message from that whale. Look at it's damaged, it's wounded, it's probably been deafened, they've been testing, they've been doing sonar. They're exploring for oil and gas and they are deafening and they are deadening the sensitivities of our ohana, the pods. And this one came to speak to the parliament and to speak to the people of the world because the world's attention went there. Mm And our prayers for that whale to make it were there, although ultimately our prayers for the highest, best outcome for all were there first. Hmm. And letting this whale die or having this whale die got our attention. Got our attention. Now Great Britain is going to be brought up before some kind of European Justice Commission about, you know, how come they fail to preserve 
that environment for them, for the dolphins and the whales. And, okay, good. Now let's see if we can get that action in the rest of the world where they are being subject to sonar through the U.S. Navy's sonar plan, which is to insonify, like, what, 90% of the ocean? I think zero to that. I say zero to that. I say zero to that as well. It's absolutely, I mean, I, it's... I can't even, I mean, it, it's hard to even go there, you know. That, that, yeah. Uh, that's what we're going to do today, too. We're going to go somewhere else where that's just out of the question. It's yeah. like the cetacea are a global resource, and um, it's important for us to cherish and preserve them, as with all life anyway. Um, but these are the ones I'm most connected to. Hmm. And um, we have things underfoot that we're doing to help make a difference in this regard. All right, Star. Well, look, let's uh, let's take another little break here. Let's come back and let's talk more about the cetacea. Let's talk more about dolphins and whales. I want to talk a little bit about uh, living in pod, uh, quote unquote, and and what that's about, and and a little bit more about this interaction that's becoming such a big part of your uh, work uh, with uh-huh. the with the dolphins. All right. Yes. Thank you. All right, cool. We'll be back in just a few minutes. And uh, my guest, of course, for those of you if you're just tuning in, is Star Newland. You can find out information about her and her work at www.planetpuna.com. You can also get there directly from my website at mikehagan.com. All right, this is Mike, and you're listening to Radio Orbit. And this is also Rutherford. I think this is my favorite track off their new CD called Mapping Out Chaos. It's called The Breeze. We'll be back in just a minute with Star Newland on Radio Orbit. We rush around to shops and stores. We spend our nights behind closed doors. With arms around our first class horse. And we all want something more. We cut ourselves with words and lies Forget about these hopeless lies Skies are covered with silky sleeves We're just trying to find our peace We'll just listen to the
All right. That was The Breeze from Rutherford. As I said, I think that's probably my favorite track on that CD, for what it's worth. Anyway, wonderful vocals there from Ruth, and uh, just good stuff from mid-Missouri. All right, you can find out more about Rutherford on the web, www.mikehagan.com, and click on the Music tab. And they also have their own website, and it is luxmusic.net, L-U-X-M-U-S-I-C.net. And uh, Rutherford, of course, the former Lux, and uh, they're still uh, using that particular website. So uh, anyway, if you're interested, get on the web, and there's a few songs you can download, all that sort of stuff. Also, uh, information about my guest, Star Newland, is available on the web as well. You can go to my website and jump right over to hers, or directly, and for your bookmarks, www.planetpuna.com. And let's get right back to her. Hi, Star. Aloha. Aloha. All right, so before the break, and thanks to everybody who called in uh, for, with your donations. I appreciate it. Dolphins and whales um, and your relationship with them that's evolving and growing over time and getting more interesting every time I talk with you about it. So, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and, 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 with, and which I long to share so badly someday. And, I, and, and sculpt that for me. I'm sure there's a way. So but, very much. So very much. Uh, <laughs> It sounds and feels so much better than so badly. Yes, you're right. And I realize that this is how I have to try to start to consciously think about words more clearly. You know, and you, and you know I'm a language freak anyway. And I, and uh-huh. I, I recognize that, you know, uh, that we've been very naive in the importance of language in the sculpting of our own reality. And, and so I realize that w- the, the relevance of what you're saying here, and I need to be more conscious about it. And I hope people are are listening because we've sort of been joking around about it, but words are real. They're things. The, as Terence used to say, the world is made of language. Yes. So, okay, well, speaking of language, you've been uh, sharing language with dolphins, and uh, what's, the, what's the latest? What's going on? Well, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I guess <laughs> what's going on? Well, they've been inspiring me again, and as usual for this next Earth Day event coming up. Because um, people can go to Planet Puna and take a look at our website about the Cetacean Commonwealth, which we've been developing and which is still a work in progress. However, it is getting more formalized. What's the, what's the idea with the Cetacean Commonwealth? Well, the Cetacean, the Cetacean Commonwealth is uh, a grouping, really, of humans like ourselves, people who care for the dolphins and the whales mm. and Earth, and also the dolphins and the whales as the cetacean nations. Um, part of our work as the Sirius Institute through Dr. Michael Heisen, our research director, is to help establish a common communications uh, between us and cetacea using music as an interface. Mm. Or some variation thereof, but this is the direction that our work had been t- has been taking for some time. And then the other part of it has to do with the more subtle levels of communication, more like the telepathic ones. But in the meantime, our work is about helping to establish a verifiable kind of communications with them. Mm. And and then at that point, they'll be able to speak for themselves. But in the meantime, I feel like we can speak confidently that we know they want to be allowed to thrive. We know that they want us to help respect and maintain their world, their you know their environment, their habitat. Right. Um, we know that uh, they approach us with the utmost respect and 
consideration, considering all the things that we've done to them. They could do something back to us, but overall, they've been very respectful and, you know, of us too. So we're wanting to secure the acknowledgement through organizations such as the United Nations and national governments, world governments, that these are a people. These are the oldest, sentient, most biggest-brained peoples of the planet, and that we would like to keep them around and um, learn together, work together, create a new and improved new world order together, and have our focus be on something other than where our focus has been. And a perfect example, again, is that one whale that went all the way up the uh, Thames River and how the whole world's attention was on that one well. Well, what if people in their own local communities and environments in different places got together and had their own dolphin and whale encounters or experiences or ways to make contact with each other? Uh, we feel that this would augur well for our planet. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and I want to uh, make a highlight about something this this idea that that the the dolphins and the whales treat humans with a particular kind of respect is really interesting because as you say we've we've done some tremendously nasty things to to these yeah. creatures and they're quite capable of tremendous damage to human beings when they're in the water with them and people mm -hmm. don't recognize i think unless you've actually been you know if you dive or if you've been in the water with not just a dolphin but if you've ever been in the water with a whale you know i mean you really realize the scale of these creatures that you're talking about and it it's real at that point and these and, and if they wanted to uh heck it'd be like just throwing a rag doll around you know easily and I'm all, and I've always thought it was amazing when uh, uh, when orcas, for example, allow themselves to be captured because that's all that it can be. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 it's all that it can be is they can only be allowing themselves to be captured, in my opinion, because yeah. uh, because they are they allow themselves to be handled by men and and uh, and put into a little harness or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. And we've all seen the film or whatever, but we just don't really cognize what it means, but the simple fact is that killer whale, when it wants to be, can be very violent. Watch what it does to a big giant seal. <laughs> a walrus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ice flows with dogs on them. Yeah, you know. So, uh, so it's a, so so there's a consciousness there, uh, a decision-making process with these creatures that 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 consciously decide we are we are not going to harm humans. It seems that there's uh, some sort of a, if not a rule, certainly a guideline. Yeah, it's a, a directive, they would say, most likely. And that they would, you know, by and large, uh, respect the human's um, physicality. But they're reaching out to us, and um, two people whom I hitched rides with today talked about their own dolphin experiences and whale experiences and how you know, one was having dreams of whales, and mm. the other one was a lady who was telling me how, how she had been out in the water, and they were, came and, you know, they were swimming with her. And, and, wow, that was like about eight rides at that time, or seven rides by then. And, you know, two out of seven people have had personal, direct experience with the dolphins and the whales. 
even um, insofar as the dreams, which are very important in a way in which they reach out to us when we're more open and receptive. And consistently, when people think about them, they get excited and happy. And the many thousands of people who stood by the riverbank in England and watched for that whale and hooted for that whale and prayed for that whale, it's like, what makes us get so excited about them? Mm. And what if we were to give that, again, like more of our attention? I feel like now is the time for us to redirect our attention more to the world that we want to create, what I like to call the new and improved new world order. Because mm. we know what that other new world order has in store for us, and I know that we say zero to that. Mm. We have something else in mind that we came to create together and that's a really beautiful planet, and that's a planet where we share a common culture with at least the cetacea, but really with all of life, mm. including yeah. the ETs, by the way. Well, that's another thing we're going to have to talk about, uh, but we're going to have to wait because it is approaching 123. So we have about uh, five, let me look at the clock, five, we have five and a half or six minutes. So let's okay. talk about this a little bit and what we're, uh, what we're actually uh, considering uh, doing here. Okay. Well, um, one, two, three jump, as we discussed earlier, is one of my favorite like little kid kind of playthings. Right. And every year, though, for several years now, um, one, two, three jump, January the 23rd, whatever year it is, has always been a special, like, launch day for me. Okay. Okay? Like, one, two, three, jump. So what am I going to jump into now? Mm. And, um, you know, weeks ago when we were setting up the schedule for tonight, for this interview, I thought, oh, yeah, that'll be so perfect. I'll go out on the Gathering of the Partners of the Sirius Institute Day. I'll have this great interview with Mike and, you know. <laughs> and so I've been meditating and praying on this for like a while now. Right. And uh, during my surfing meditations at the Black Sand Beach that I frequent, uh, I get inspired to do different things, which is why I say, yeah, you know, the dolphins and the whales reach out to us. And when we're open, we hear what they're saying or we feel it or we get some kind of imprint from them, and it seemed to me that we were thinking, oh, how fun it would be, because of our new partner, Sean, in Australia, if we could kind of like do a little like dolphin or cetacean unifying uh, experience, you know, like have a pod mind kind of thing going on, right? Right. And then, while we have that pod mind happening, make a jump, one, two, three, jump at one... 23 your time, right? But still one, the 123 my day. Right, right. <laughs> just a little harmonic fun thing, right? Right. And then just like everybody, one, two, three, jump over to a parallel world. Where on that parallel world, because we're all living it already, we're all experiencing it already, we're all feeling the little upsurges of, hmm, there's this new thing of energy going on, I feel it. There's I know no, we're feeling there's it. There's no question about it. No. There's certainty about it, Mike. And again, it's one of these personal things. You don't have to be told by somebody. <laughs> you can tell for yourself. So. Yeah. That's what grounding does. More and more people are getting grounded now. And when we're grounded, we can feel for ourselves. And we can breathe into what's really going on. And then we can tell, wow, this feels really good. And when we look at each moment like that, 
we can actually feel that moment to moment our personal life is probably pretty okay in that moment. And then we could keep sculpting more moments that are pretty well okay. All right. Well, let's sculpt away. Sculpt away. So over the next few minutes, our audience can uh, reflect on some of the things in their life that they see as evidence that, yeah, there is something changing for the better for me, or this is what I would like to change for the better for me and giving thanks that it's already in the works. That's why we're thinking about it and talking about it now. Mm-hmm. And also envision what it would be like for a world where, for example, our public servants, and we need to call them public servants to remind them who they are and that they work for us. You see, this term politicians is giving us exactly the kinds of service we're getting. Ah, yes. Those government levels. Hmm. So putting people in their true place, it's like they're our public servants. So envision a place like we have a lot of benefit here in Hawaii with many of our public servants actually being that Hmm. and responsive to us. So it's important for us to feel that we can reach out to those public servants and Ask them and expect them now to start coming forth with what they're here to do, which is to look after the well-being of the people, right? Mm. That's what we're here for together is the well-being of the people and the earth and all of us now. So on this new and improved new world order, we have people who will respond to that, who are our public servants. Mm. So that's an interesting kind of world. (laughs) Take that, George. (laughs) Yeah. George, and, and, and right on down the line, you know. There's, all the there's, way through. There's, yeah, there's plenty to go around, so. Exactly. So that's one thing. Or that, you know, where your healthcare practitioner actually um, is truly, and I know some of my favorite people are physicians. So I say this with the utmost affection. It's just that <laughs> our, um, our beings know how to self-regulate. They know how to self-heal. They know how to be well. And it would be good if we listened to our bodies first also. Mm. While things are still um, more easily fixable, while we can respond to some of the more healing modalities like, um, let's say, a certain kind of configured water, putting really clean water into our systems, or what Len Horowitz, our good friend Len Horowitz, talks about in terms of zero vaccinations anymore. Zero get tricked into feeding those pharmaceutical companies big bucks for a flu vaccine that is just putting the flu into us. Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, we have to, like, start establishing our body's boundaries with respect to what we will allow in and be clear that we pretty well only want what's good for us in from now on. And that's also part of our new and improved new world order. And, um, you know, like transparency in relationships and understanding about love and what, you know, that love changes and love moves on, but love is still eternal. And maybe we could learn to let go and move on with grace and ease and great affection for the love that brought us together anyway. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? That created children together and loving the parents of our children and even through our own pain and tears, loving our own parents for they did what we all agreed to, first of all. But so often they all just did the best they knew how with what they had. So a new world sees with more loving eyes um, 
more embracing and knows that we're here to make a difference and we'll change it. We're changing it right now. Hmm. Wonderful. All right, 123. One, two, three. Jump! Jump! <laughs> All right, I am totally there. <laughs> right on. <laughs> and we made it with uh, 16 seconds to spare. <laughs> Good, because then we have our common culture, like I said, with the cetacea, <laughs> so that we can create this together and just, you know, now let's really do a wonderful thing for Earth and for all of creation together. Yeah, I mean, uh, this, yeah, th- th- this, this whole idea of the Earth anymore and uh, it is becoming almost, uh, you know, people are, are beginning to realize it has nothing to do with environmentalism, it has nothing to do with politics, it has to do with intelligence. You know, it, it has to do with, you know, cutting off the branch on which you stand. How <laughs> smart is that? You, you know, and, uh-huh. uh, and so uh, it, it should be coming obvious to all but the, the silliest among us, you know, that, that this is no longer about any of that other stuff. It's about our own and, and the other life forms on this planet being able to continue, or at least a lot of them, you know. Yeah. So and, and and the Earth will move along just fine once we uh, depart. Uh, if 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 Gaia decides to pull the scenery, and she might, you know. Well, we do have a say in that, Mike. We do have a say in how things go, and that's why when they call something a prophecy, that's all that that's those all things is. are. That's all it it's is. It's a prophecy, but we have free will, and free will change, free will jumps to other consciousnesses will allow us to literally go to a parallel reality. Like we just did. Yes, exactly. And create and inhabit the fourth and fifth dimensional world where, wow, that's pretty magic. I just did this, and, or I just thought of that, and there it was. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, I, <laughs> I like that too. a real I lot. Do, I do, too. And, in fact, those thoughts are gone now. They're not even there. So there's no reason to even discuss it. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, so uh on with on with our uh on with our dolphin talk a little bit. Let's talk a, a little bit about BNN Pod and then um we'll take another break here in about uh in, in about 4 minutes, okay? Okay. All right. What, uh, what do you mean actually when you say that N Pod? Well, living on Pod uh came in response to our time in Los Angeles a few years ago when we were there for Earth Day and we were asked to write up something to hand out to the youth. And um, after wondering about this for days, it came, oh, I know what's really exciting for kids is, oh, pardon me, hold on a sec, I have to call. Thank you. Sure. Um, I saw a number of articles in the papers about gangs there, and I was kind of like meditating on, I do a lot of meditating about things. And I realized that a lot of what young people got from gangs, they would get from a pod, hmm. but with a different orientation, of course. And so I wrote up this piece called Living on Pod, uh, which is how we like to um, raise our children. That's how uh, my tiger was raised and numbers of other kids who've come through to our place. And we live on pod basically out of what we call a pod home, which is uh, an island of stability in any environment. And it's an island of stability because the people there pretty well have it together in one fashion or another in most fashions. Out here where we live in very rural Puna, Hawaii, that's important. Things that um, people all over where you are take for granted day after day, except if you just had a hurricane or something. Hmm. Um, That's kind of how it is a lot for people here. 
So a pot home would have things like, you know, enough food for people to come and have dinner or be taken care of and, you know, fresh clean clothes in a clothes box or something and a place where people can stay the night and continue doing creative endeavors with each other. Oftentimes a garden, something like that, um, like I said, computers, Um, music instruments because music is an integral part of our community here. Mm -hmm. And... uh, the kids uh, learn and benefit from learning from the people around them, and they learn real-life skills, and that's part of our um, Camp Paradise program. My guest is uh, Star Newland, and you can find information about Star at www.planetpuna.com, and you can also get there uh, directly from my website at www.mikehagen.com as well. All right, and uh, I think that actually we will... Uh, Take a break here. I think Star needs to have a little glass of water anyway, so we'll take a break here and play a little bit of music.
right, that's 9th Street from Rutherford. And this is Mike. You're listening to Radio Orbit. And my guest for the last hour and a half has been the gracious Star Newland, talking to us live from Hilo, Hawaii. And uh, we've covered a wide range of topics tonight, Star. And uh, I thank you for sharing all the amazing information with me, as always. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mike. Uh, aloha. aloha, yeah, mahalo, aloha. And, uh, okay, so we have a couple more things, though. Uh, let's talk about, uh, okay, first of all, let's close out our conversation about uh, being on pod. So, in other words, it's a different way of living. Yes. It's a, it's a social organization, and, again, like being here and throughout my life being an observer of things, I see that um, this is kind of how people organize themselves when they have, like, the time to do that. And I was thinking during the break about this and school and what school does mm. and how it kind of interferes with how our brains were wired and how our children's brains are being wired. Um, insofar as when we have to break up our thinking in, like, 50-minute periods or 45-minute periods, it kind of, like, blocks the flow of being able to think something through to completion. It blocks the capacity to have connectivity between thoughts because, oops, the bell is ringing. Oops, I've got to go do this instead. So, um, yeah, switch uh, gears from this to that and back to that. Right. right. But that's hardly conducive to really higher brain thinking or mm. higher brain functioning. And, you know, Joseph Chilton Pierce, who inspired me so immensely, sure. uh, said basically that um, how we educate our children is about as alien to how they should be educated is how our women give birth, hmm. you know, tied down and on their backs. Give me a break. Robert Anton Wilson said to me, to use as a quote in an article I did, um, that, you know, it could be that um, playfulness is our highest form of creativity. That's why it's so important for us to, like, you know, think like the dolphins do. So if that's the case, and we really want smart children, then we ought to design their so-called education to enhance what nature already makes easy for us. Hmm. You see, let them play. If nine out of ten people in my survey are sending their kids to school for socialization, let them play with each other. Maybe we could, like, reorganize life, at least rurally, but I also did this in Vancouver and Los Angeles and in Florida. We can reorganize life around life and the children. And see what comes together of that. And this is what our pod homes are meant to do. They're meant to bring us together to live life um, on pod, having fun, being playful, staying up all night with your children, for goodness sakes. Do you remember, Mike, the first time you ever saw all night long until sunrise? How old you were when you were allowed to do that? Or You know, uh, to be completely honest with you, I don't know when it was. Uh-huh. I don't have a yeah. particular memory of it. I mean, I've done it plenty of times since, let me tell you. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. But uh but as a child and I'm certain that I did it as a child, but uh <laughs> but but I don't have that particular memory. And that's and, yeah. and that to me now as I think back is remarkable to me. Uh-huh. That well, I don't that I don't have the memory. Most of our audience are like that. Likewise, because the day has 24 hours. Yes, that's obvious, but um we put our kids to sleep for half of it. So in some ways, they're kind of like on for half of it, off for half of it. But life is still ongoing 24-7. That's why our pod 
and those that we're especially close to like to stay up like all night and have fun and be creative and write articles or do research or involve the kids who are still wanting to be awake. But a lot of kids want to be awake at night, Mike. You know this. Yeah, yeah. You have a terrific two-year-old. Yeah, and and, and he's uh, he's pretty. I mean, when he's tired, he's tired. But uh, huh? but but when but when he's not, I mean, it's obvious. If he doesn't want to go, I mean, he basically says, "I don't want to go." And if you try to force him, well, then you're asking for a big, you know, yeah. What do you? And I why? Mean, why? Yeah. We could say yes instead and have happier, easier kids to be with, which would make our life as parents more enjoyable, which in turn would make everything better. Yeah, the idea of just forcing your will. I mean, it's just not. Uh, it's old-fashioned. Uh, yeah, well, and and it's just it's not it's, it doesn't work, and it's not good for anybody involved. I mean, you know, it's not good for the kid. It's not good for mom or dad, uh, and 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 nothing really gets accomplished except everybody gets sort of frustrated out of the deal. Right, right. So yes, that is why living on pod is a nice way to live for us and the children, because it's more relaxing. Because we let people have their own personal temperament. Hmm. We let them have a sense of who they are by allowing them to be who they are. Mm. And this is what our world is here for, is for us to be unique individuals and yet be part of a whole and to be able to function together and come to consensus because we would know innately that, yes, it's good to, like, leave some trees so the air has oxygen enough from that um, process and everything. It's like... We have to have agreement. We have to have consensus because we understand hmm. that we're all here together. And the dolphins are like that. They're all there together. There goes the siren. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. <laughs> For emphasis, you see. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's like, you know, crisis, emergency. Listen, listen up. Listen it's up. an ambulance setting up the coast. So. So, okay, we could do another little, like, um, joint live um, prayer and send a prayer through the audience and ourselves now to wherever that That ambulance is going to. Yeah, that was a sign for sure. Uh, Yeah. So, yeah, and and a a sign to remember whenever you hear something like that to, uh, you know, to not curse them for slowing traffic, but to to say something helpful maybe for whoever's in trouble that they're going to go visit. So. Yes. I yeah. agree. Wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff, yeah. Star. Okay, look, um, let's talk uh, about the Dolphin Birthing Project. Well, yeah, because I'm really excited about what we're doing with this. I'm working uh, with a number of pregnant ladies, friends of mine, and also um, ladies from other parts of the world. And uh, we're getting the boats together, and the resources are coming in to bring out a few women at a time by boat, um, two dolphin pods that are more, you know, remote, let's say. So it's um, and only up to if the dolphins want to be with us, by the way. Right. Just that, of course, our feeling is that they've been wanting this for a long time and we're their handmaidens <laughs> getting this together. So uh, we're going to work on a cohort, in what I call an interspecies cohort. And this is a group of, you know, kids basically born together as a cohort. Um, we'd like a group of kids born together who have had mothers who've had dolphin encounters during a pregnancy and then uh, potentially dolphin-attended birth mm-hmm. and uh, then dolphin contact between the moms, the babies, the dads, of course, and the dolphins 
and any dolphin babies that are born around the same time, too. This has captivated my imagination for some time, and now we're in a position with enough pregnant ladies around and enough things coming together that we can bring this part through. And just, you know, as an exploration, just to see, well, what happens? Is anything happening? And what? You know, uh, uh, Star, I have I have an intuition that a child that w- was raised sort of in close proximity and with friendship sort of with a baby dolphin, mm-hmm. and if they were sort of raised together, I sort of intuit that the language barrier might be broken. Sure. Bingo. Of course, Mike, you've hit the nail on the head, which is why, you know, the cohort, interspecies cohort, is about exploring, which is what John Lilly was working on um, in uh, late 50s, early 60s is when this started happening in his book, uh, Man and Dolphin. Man and Dolphin, sure. Man and Dolphin, and he says exactly, and of course, having read his books and then lived with them, I knew this, but kind of forgot, but it just kind of kept me going, was, well, like, uh, yeah, if we want to crack the communications code, let's see what would happen if we had human babies and children um, cohabiting or at least sharing a good deal of time with Mm. the dolphin babes and children. And I think that would be so great. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, I'm I'm dying to see the results of it. I mean, mean, no, I mean, uh, uh, it would thrill me to see the results of that. I'm not dying to see anything. Right, exactly. Because I'm a language sculptor. That's right, Mike. Oh, brilliant. I'm, Bravo. I'm not very good yet. I'm still looking at a block I'm of stone, better. and there's not much coming out of the stone yet, but uh, but I realize there's a form inside the stone there somewhere. So, uh, all right. Okay, very yeah. interesting stuff. I love it. I think it's a great uh, project. And uh, uh, if oh. people are interested in helping, by the way, since it's that sort of a night, uh, go visit Planet Puna and check out what... Uh, with Star and uh, and Dr. Michael Heisen, uh, who's the research uh, head, uh, or what's Michael's uh-huh. exact title? Uh, Michael is our uh, he's our research director. Research director, yeah, uh-huh. and a, and, a, and, yeah. A, and a brilliant neurobiologist and marine biologist and uh, an absolute astonishing person. And um, fun. <laughs> Michael's engaging beyond imagination. <laughs> yeah, and, and I only know the tip of the iceberg, you know. And I, every time I speak with him, I'm always just thrilled. So, anyway, okay. So uh, uh, we got a few more minutes. What else you want to talk about? Well, um, do we have any questions from your audience that they want to answer? Oh, uh, you know, if I had access to my email and the computer's broken, I could tell you, but I haven't oh. been able to get at my email from the studio tonight. <laughs> Ever since they okay. put all these new advertisements in the computer well, for yeah. the pledge drive, I haven't been able to get at the email okay. section. So. Okay, well, a few things, just like a few little reminders. I could open they, the phones real fast and see if anybody um, calls. You want to? Sure, let's do sure, that. Jenny. And then I could just um, start with let the children play uh, and let your child play. Just, you know, open your heart and just start feeling more and more that it's okay, especially since we're now in this new and improved new world order, okay? Look for magic to happen, what is called magic, but what in truth is natural. Mm-hmm. We made it magic because we lost touch with it and made it something out of the ordinary, but the miraculous is really natural, and it comes from being kind of like a synchronicity generator, 
right? By being in tune, by being present, by feeling, in fact, that it's okay to be in the present moment. Yeah. All right. Really cool. Okay. Let's give out that phone number in case anybody does want to call and give... uh uh, pose a question or make a comment to Star or myself, uh, you can give us a call here. Area code 573-443-8255. That's 573-443-8255. And uh, we'll put you on the air here and you can ask a question and uh, make it snappy. we got about uh, we got five minutes or so if you're uh, interested in, in doing that. Cool. So. Then I can say that um, Michael and I were interviewed for Doreen Virtue's latest book, Goddesses and Angels, and that came out in the fall, mm-hmm. just as we were coming back. Um, she did a really good job, and we're um, really happy to be part of that. Then Michael especially was interviewed by Tokyo Television, who brought him all the way back from England in November for a segment on dolphin healing. Mm-hmm. And then for the Dolphin Birthing Project... A film company out of France, Maisoin Films, is doing a wonderful uh, feature film called uh, Le Dernier Cri, which means the last, or the uh, premier cri, the first cry. Uh, And so uh, we're invited to participate out of Hawaii uh, demonstrating dolphin-attended birth. Wonderful. Hey, let's uh, let's take a phone call here, Star. Okay, yeah, let's. Good morning. You're in orbit. Who's this? This is Deborah. Hi, Deborah. How are you? Um, I found it very interesting when she was talking about the synchronicity and the visions, um, the signs that the uh-huh. signs are all around us. And I just wanted to share that this happens with me quite a bit as far as dreams. And um, uh-huh. when I have MS attacks, it'll wipe everything out for a while. But then I come back together and... Just for an example, a few weeks back, I had these very strange dreams, and it was about a boy with this blue electricity coming out of his mouth, or I thought it was a person, a male, and I wasn't sure if it wasn't myself in the dream, but I didn't understand what it meant, and it was in connection with something involving aliens. This is normal stuff. So then the next night, I don't normally watch television. I didn't even know what I was watching. What I figured out later it was called Surface or whatever that um, NBC program is. And it showed, I turned it on at that moment when this blue electricity came out of the mouth. Just like in my <laughs> wow. And then yep. there All right, well, look, look, Deborah, we're just about out of time here, so let's, let's let Star respond to you, and, uh, yeah. and, and then we'll finish up here, okay? Bye. Thanks. Well, I did feel there was an ET connection as soon as I heard the blue light because I'm reading a fascinating book about ETs and things. So um, I think she's just very tuned in, and I think the MS um, could actually be ameliorated. I feel like the symptoms could be tempered a lot if Deborah were to, like, um, let her intuition play through her more, let her power flow through her more. I feel that would help. All right, well, and, thanks. Um, it would smooth out the synchronicities to even um, enhance that. She seems very sensitive. Um, she and is there's aware. No, there's no question. Touch. There's no question about it. She, she. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with her, and and uh, she's a real regular listener of the program, and I, and I wish her the best all the time. And she has this, uh, that, that, that issue. And I hope, I hope you're right. I'd love to see that get uh, uh, improve, improve that situation. Yeah. So, all right. Well. Um, Let's see. Yes. 
Oh, I wanted to say thanks to a few people if I could. Oh, like. well, let me ask you one other. You, you oh, brought yeah. something up really quick. What, what's up with E.T.? What's your, what's your take? Oh, well, you know, when I was on television in Vancouver years ago, one of the shows, the last show I did was Starbird Sings, which was my first incarnation with the star thing. And um, it was beamed to the rest of the galaxies and everything that Earth had um, reached a certain kind of consciousness and that we were being considered into the Galactic Federation of Light. So I had this whole ET thing, feeling thing happening years ago. And I feel now, and, you know, emails come in people's books and things, that we're getting ready to make a real substantial first contact. And in some ways, um, truthfully, I feel like it would also be through the cetacea, the dolphins and the whales, who are maybe like one of our original seeding ET races, and um, but also ones from other times and spaces and dimensions. And um, what we're being told is that, you know, it's important for us to have a sense of who we are as individuals and to be grounded in ourselves and to think for ourselves so that whatever is going on around us in that old world order, we know that indeed we have this new and improved new world order that we're creating together instead. And that will resonate with that kind of energy because as above, so below. No doubt about that. There's a reason we said this at Delphi, you know, and to thine own self be true Hmm. and all. So for sure, Mike, that, um, you know, we live aloha, we extend kindness to each other and look to the world with more loving eyes and let the children play. All these things will help us immensely and uh, help us create the world that we really want to enjoy. All right, Star. Well said. <laughs> Absolutely well said. Thanks. <laughs> and I'm uh, uh, just actually thrilled, and I'm so glad that uh, we were able to spend some more time together. Who do you want to thank really quickly? Let's do that. Oh, thanks for remembering. Well, first of all, you <laughs> for bringing this about and making this possible. And then I wish you many, many benefactors yes. to support this work and to um, you know encourage people to uh, listen to you. And my friend Roger, who let me work in his office here, the THC ministry, and my friends Dan and Janelle with the Church of Cognizance, um, Mike Heisen, my good friend and work partner, my great son Tiger, and for all the wonderful work he does with his production company, Total Deniability Productions. Huh, I love it. People, yeah, I'm Total Accountability, of course. He had to go to Total Deniability. There you go. Just a lesson for us to always be balanced, you know. And then, Larry, you're a webmaster and are um, coming to be webmaster. And Mirth over in England who brought us there and all the wonderful people who tune in and who are here and who made that one, two, three jump with us. Mahalo Nui Loa. All right. Mahalo. And it's time for us to make another jump, okay? Yes. All right. Aloha. Uh, Aloha. Thank you very much. And uh, my heart out to you. I'll talk to you very soon, okay? Thanks. Yes. All right. Aloha. Bye. Aloha. All right, everybody, it's Mike. Uh, We've got just a couple minutes to finish things up here. For sure, check in and uh, don't miss the show next week. Dr. Paul LaViolette, uh, one of my most favorite uh, authors and researchers, and I'm thrilled to have him on the program next week. We'll talk about lots of interesting things, primarily things that are happening above our heads. 
Okay, uh, information about the show tonight can be found at MikeHagan.com. The music, click on the music tab. You can download a couple songs from Rutherford. Thanks for the music tonight. And also big thanks, of course, to Star Newland for uh, amazing and wonderful conversation and information as she always, always brings. At any rate, uh, let's finish things up here. Here's one last one from Rutherford. It is unnamed. It's at the end of their CD. I call it uh, Acapella a la Ruth. This is Mike. You've been listening to Radio Orbit. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a gift to be free. Tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, it will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained to bow and to bend, we To turn, turn will be our delight Till by turning, turning we come round right Tis a gift to be simple Tis a gift to be free Tis a gift to come down where we ought to be and when we find ourselves